This Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent. I don't think we uh, Frenchy French accent this week. No, 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 no. And you stay for the principles. How great is it to be back? How amazing do I feel right now? Because when I say I'm back, I mean it for two different reasons. Firstly, I apologize for missing the last two weeks worth of shows. Honestly, I could give you a lot of excuses and they're all legit. I was in a foreign country. I was in a country where the technology wasn't good. I was in a country where the Wi-Fi wasn't strong enough. And I could just say it wasn't possible. But the truth of the matter is, while they're all legit and they are the reasons I didn't do a show, I should have predicted that and I should have pre-recorded two shows well in advance. And for that, I apologize for missing two weeks worth of shows. But my life was crazy busy before this trip. But I'm back and I'm here today to to share some stories with you and some things that we need to talk about on a more deeper level, on a more principled level, because I know there's so much tiredness and fatigue from the news right now. But when I say I'm back, I also mean it a second reason. Because if you haven't been following my social media or you haven't been seeing what I posted or what I've been doing over the last two weeks, right here, right now, as I record this show to you, I'm back in America. Or as I like to say, I'm back home. I'm back where I belong. I'm back where I need to be to serve, to help, to inspire, to give some relief. And most importantly, I'm here to work. And for legal reasons, when I say work, I need to be crystal clear. I'm not here to work to take a salary or to you know contribute to the economy. When I say I'm here to work, I'm here to help and to volunteer my time and my services. Because this trip, as much fun as it's going to be, it's going to be hard. It's going to involve a lot of travel. It's going to involve a lot of media. It's going to involve a lot of presentations, over 65 to be precise. It's going to be tough, but I'm here and I'm here to help. And I really hope we get the opportunity to meet you. I'm in 15 different states. I've shared them the where I am. But as I'm going to release the schedule, I'll release it a couple of weeks at a time because I can't release it for security reasons all in one go. But over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be in different places. Uh, starting Monday the 13th, I'm going to be in Wayne County, Georgia. Tuesday, I'm in Randolph, Alabama. Wednesday, I'm in uh, Gainesburg, Tennessee. Thursday, Newport, Tennessee. Friday, Springfield, Tennessee. Saturday, Clarksville, Tennessee. Then the following Monday, the 20th, Winder, Georgia. And then Tuesday, Tucker, Georgia. And then Wednesday and Thursday, Big Rapids in Michigan. If you live near these areas and you want to come speak or if you want to drive, come and join me for an event. We've got a presentation. It's called Reclaiming America's Narrative. It's one I don't think you're going to want to miss because we're going to share the narrative of America. And I mean the real narrative, but we're also going to give some solutions. But even if you don't live near those and you want to see me talk, drop me a private message and I'll say, hey, if you say I'm in this city or I'm in Tampa, Florida, I'll tell you when I'm near Tampa. I'll give you the exact dates and the locations because I want to meet as many as you as possible. I think you will enjoy the presentation. I've worked really hard on it for the last several months. I've worked really hard on it and it's constantly updating. 
but also we do meetups afterwards where after the presentation, a group of us, some people, sometimes it's only about five or six, sometimes it's 30, where we do a meetup and we do go for dinner. And I get to engage with you and I get to listen to you, what you're feeling on the ground, what emotions you're going through, what struggles you're going on, what's happening in your life or what's happening in your state. And they're really good. And also, if nothing else, even if, you know, you don't want to meet me, but you want to come to the presentation and you want to come to the meetups, you get to meet people in your own state. It's a great networking event. So I highly recommend it. But right now, as I record this show, not only am I home, I'm in a state which I'm so excited to be in because I've always wanted to come to the state. I've never had the opportunity. I'm in Utah. But today I want to talk to you not about me or where I was or where I am or where I'm going. I want to talk to you about some things that I've found and that I think we really need to really focus in on in these dark times. Because I feel when I engage with you, I feel your pain. I feel your frustration. I've only been in the country two days and I've spoken to many people. And while you're still optimistic, while you're still good, decent people, the tension is palatable. The hurt is palatable. You can feel it. That optimism has taken a blow. People are hurting, whether it's through politics and they're just constantly angry, or whether it's through the economy with COVID, where people are struggling to worry about, can I put food on the table? They're looking at their dollar buy less. They're seeing gas prices go up. They're seeing uncertainty about jobs. They're seeing, I was talking to someone who does some type of um, furniture and they make it custom made. And to order the pieces that they need, it now takes up to three months. Now, what's happening when it takes three months? People find this out and they go absolutely crazy and then they don't place an order. That company that my friend is in that company is really worried for their job and they've got kids and they're like, I've got a mortgage. I've got kids. What happens if the company goes under? What happens if I lose my job? Where do I go? You're seeing this with people who no longer, especially around retail, not really retail, but more restaurants where and, you know, chauffeurs and, and taxis where they used to work one job, a certain amount of hours, and they get their salary and they live a standard of living. They now have reduced hours and they've got to have a second job. I've seen this. I spoke to a lady in Houston today. She used to work in a hotel. All, that's all her full-time job. Because the hotel industry, as you can, might imagine, it's why it's come back. It's not quite where it was. So she's on a reduced hours contract and now she drives. And it takes pressure because it adds, t- it takes more hours from her day. She's willing to do it, but she's frustrated. She's working harder for less money. And she's got kids. Kids always seem to be the thing that, you know, really resonates with people. It really feels the pain. So I want to talk to you today about some of the things we need to do. Because one of the things is, and I feel this on social media when I engage with you, when I talk to you. On all sides, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of lack of patience and understanding and empathy. But what we have to do is we need to find ways to keep fighting. But it's not just a case of keep fighting. It's having the understanding that maybe what we're doing isn't working. And what we need to do is take a step back and find new ways to fight, new ways to engage, new ways to serve. I firmly believe service is the key, not fighting. Is this easy? No. Nothing of all the solutions I'm going to share over the coming weeks on this show and through the presentations, none of it's easy. 
Some of it's going to be laughed at. Some of it's going to be scoffed at. Some of it's because it's so different to what you're hearing right now. But if you have to understand what America's narrative was, what America's narrative needs to be is so far removed from what you are right now. And it's going to take a radical change, of course, of thinking on both sides. But sometimes you have to do things that you don't want to do, that you're not comfortable with. Trust me, I know how bad this can be. I'm speaking to you right now from St. George. I'm finally here. This tour has been cancelled four different times. The pain, the frustration of where I, I did all that work, where I did all the building up context, where I agreed, hey, I'm going to be here on this day and I'm going to do this presentation, and then having to cancel it, and then having to do it again, reschedule it, and then cancel it, and then have to do it a third time and a fourth time with some people. This tour took, took a lot of work. And even the fact I'm here right now, it wasn't just a case of just rescheduling the tour. This time it took me to do something that I didn't want to do. I wasn't ready to do it. I wasn't quite honestly, and I'll be blunt about it. I've always laid my cards on the table. I wasn't emotionally and physically ready and spiritually ready to do what I did. I had to go to Turkey. It cost me about two and a half thousand dollars, I think, to go to Turkey. I didn't go for fun. I didn't go for kicks and giggles. I didn't go for a holiday or for a vacation. I did it simply because there was no other way to get here, to help, to serve, to inspire. It wasn't fun. I don't have anything bad to say about Turkey. It was a nice country. People were pretty friendly. Didn't speak English, but they were friendly. The person I stayed with in the hotel was very helpful. Anything I needed, he, he showed me where it was. But I was there for 15 days by myself in a hotel room for 23 plus hours a day. The only time I'd leave was to go for a walk. And if I wanted a conversation, if I wanted human interaction, I couldn't get it. Or I could get, hi, how are you? And I'm fine, how are you? That was pretty much it. And anytime there was one or two people who I learned did speak a bit of English and you'd start having a conversation with them and it might last five sentences, it might last 10 sentences, but eventually the language would break down because you do, I would say something or they would try and say something, but they couldn't find the words. It wasn't fun. My issues in the past have been well documented, but I fell lonely and I fell into a dark hole. But here's the thing. Sometimes when you fall into dark holes, you have to call, climb and claw your way out. You have to do things you're uncomfortable doing. Look around today, and if you want to make this about politics too, how many people are willing to do things they're uncomfortable with to actually make a real meaningful change? How many people are willing to do that in their job front? Oh, we want more jobs, or we want better paying, or we want more responsibilities, or we want a better, better type. How many people are willing to go through something that is really, really hard for them, but they're willing to do it? And how many people are willing to do it without moaning and just get on with it? Because I don't want your sympathy for how bad it was. America's worth it. You know, maybe I'm a sucker, maybe I'm a fool, but there is no price I won't pay for to help this country. I'm all in. I'm invested 100%. There is no other option for me. I'm not hedging my bets at all on this country. So, if, you know, if, as much as I might think it's unfair, it's unjust, here's the thing. I will do it. I just went to Turkey to prove it. So that's lesson one.
But lesson two also linked to that is something that we need to understand. And it's a thing that we need to physically understand, especially when times are bad. Because so many times over the last, since I've been really involved in your culture for 13 years now, since Obama was president. And especially this is for my friends on the right. At many times during those years, especially when Obama was president, especially when now Biden is president, you have said America's over, America's done, America can't survive this. All these usual words that you hear. We need to understand one philosophy of life. And it's based on a biblical principle. While these words are not exactly keenly used in the Bible, its sentiments are repeated on a consistent basis. It's consistently brought up in many different cultures. And it is something that got me through Turkey. And it is four simple little words. And it can help you get through whatever you're going through right now, whether it's the politics issue, whether it's your country you're worried, whether it's your job, whether it's your finances, whatever it is. Those four little words, this too shall pass. Because we are so tuned to think of the today. Or some of us live in the past, in the yesterday. And we let yesterday predict our future results. We're hurt. We're upset. We're bitter. And we don't work as hard as we should. We don't do what we should. We need to start understanding that, yes, times are bad. There's no sugarcoating it. I don't know anyone, even my friends on the left, who are like, you know what? America right here today in 2021, we're at peak efficiency. We are just awesome. I don't know anyone who says that. I don't know even anyone who would remotely say to it. I don't even know anyone, even on my friends on the left, who would say we're at 80% efficiency or 75%. There are so many problems. We may disagree on the problems, but we need to understand as bad as things are, as frustrating as things are, this too shall pass. This is just a cycle. But what will understand us, what we will get through it, is if we understand the simple principle that this will pass. This is just another cycle of life. However, if we want it to pass and turn into something good, we need to remember, we need to start acting. Because if we just get angry and bitter now, this cycle is going to go last longer and longer. And it's going to make us more bitter and it's going to make us more resentful. And then we hurt ourselves even more. This too shall pass. It got me through Turkey. As every day I woke up and I was like, oh my God, another 23 hours in this hotel room. The walls are closing on me. I'm bored. I, I'm so lonely. I would just love to have a conversation with someone. This too shall pass. Now, I was lucky in Turkey in the sense that I knew I had a countdown clock. This time next week, this time in five days, this time in three days. You don't have that luxury. It might be a week. It might be a month. It might be a year. It might be five years. But whatever you're going through right now, professionally, personally, in a country basis, this too shall pass. But what you do will define what tomorrow looks like. So let us work together to find ways in an individual basis and as a team, as a group, to find new ways to succeed. Rome wasn't built in a day, but it sure as hell, if you act wrongly, can be destroyed in one.
so I've so many stories to share about what's been happening over the last couple of weeks. But I wanted to share a story because to highlight a point when it comes to politics of what we tend to do when we demonize our opponents. And when we demonize our opponents and we look to government as the answer, usually the people 99.99999% of the time who are hurt are the average person who did nothing wrong. And I've shared many stories about this like this when I see them in America. But sometimes there's an emotional connection. Well, you know, oh, I don't feel sorry for them. They're lefties. They're, they're righties. They're whatever. They're Trump supporters. They're never Trumpers because it's so easy to look at labels. I want to share a story with you from overseas where there is no labels just to show you on merit of what's going to happen and how we get so emotionally invested in these stories and nobody gains by the politicians. So I found a restaurant when I was over there. And the restaurant was really nice. It had a beautiful view. I shared some pictures on my social media if you want to go check it out. It was, it was really nice. It was overlooking the harbor. It was just beautiful. And they didn't have windows. They didn't have anything. It was just, just could look out. And it was all this, it was loads of ships in the sea. And the one thing I was shocked about, you know, you don't think about, it's the most hilliest city I've ever been in, with the exception of San Francisco. It's really hilly. And it's hard to walk up some of them hills. So I found this restaurant that was on a height and was looking out and I was looking out over a part of European side of Istanbul. Just beautiful. Just the view was breathtaking. And it was really nice and relaxing to, to sit up at this height and just look out and look out at the sea and just look out at the views. But the, one of the waiters there spoke somewhat of English. Again, it would, you know, you'd start having a conversation about something, but, you know, eventually it would break down because I would say a word or a phrase and he'd be like, I'm sorry, what? What? Well, I don't understand. Or he'd try and say something. He'd be like, and he'd start speaking Turkish. And he'd be like, you know, rolling in his hands. Be like, what? What is this in English? I can't. And, you know, it was frustrating. But he was sharing a story about um, one of the days I was there. Um, there was a bit of a problem between her and the manager and sorry, him, the manager and the female customer. And basically without getting into all the details, because the, the, you know, the, the, the issues are irrelevant. The issues that were, were there were political. And he was telling me about it. it was like, what was going on there? And he tried to tell me, he's like, she's from Greece. We hate her. And I'm like, okay. Um, and I was like, I always love people. So I always want to talk to people and learn things. Even if I disagree with them, I always am curious how people think and how people act and, you know, what their end goal is, or even to see if they play them out in their head. And he was like, yeah, we don't like Greece. There's major political tensions between Greece and Turkey. And anytime I'm overseas, and especially in a country I don't know, I always play ignorant. I find it's the best way. But even if I'm in America and I'm talking to people, I'll always play ignorant as well because, you know, if you, if you tell them who you are and stuff, you know, it, it can get kind of cagey and turn into a debate. I love kind of going, oh, there's a problem. You don't like Donald Trump? Why? Or you don't like Joe Biden? Why? I just love listening to people and just sort of seeing the way their kind of brain clicks and the way it clocks and, you know, the way they think and the way they process stuff. So I was like, I genuinely didn't know this, by the way, but I was like, curious, why? Why is there tensions? So he was like, um, there's soccer is obviously a big sport over there. You know, it's, it's it's coming over here as well, but it's major big sport over there. And there's it's a competition called the Champions League, where basically all the best teams out of each league in England, in, in the Europe, where Ireland, England, Scotland, France, Germany, Italy, they all play each other in the Champions League. It's the best of the best of each league. 
and he was telling me a situation where um, that uh, the Turkish side, the one of the teams from Turkey went to play a team in Greece and a load of Turkish supporters went over to Greece. They flew over to Greece. And because of the political tensions, because of the political issues, basically the Greece government you know, went, uh, yeah, you're not coming into our country. And uh, even though they flew over, they were put on a ferry, a special ferry just for them, and they were shipped back to Turkey. Now, first of all, one of the things I think that annoyed them was they flew over, you know, flying to Greece, probably, I don't know, 90 minutes. And then they put them on a ferry and it probably took 12 hours. But there was, you know, you know young kids in this because they went, you know, fathers went with their sons and their daughters. And that started it all off. And that riled up a lot of Turkish people. Now, first off, is there a reason to be upset? Absolutely. You know, imagine you going to, you know, I don't know, imagine you going to another state, you know, you've got your ticket, you're going to see your baseball team, your hockey team, your soccer team, your American football team, whatever your sport is, lacrosse. And, you know, you have your ticket and you're bringing your kid and you're like, yes, we're going to go see our team play. Isn't this great? And especially after COVID, you know, this is one of the, probably not the first, but one of the first where people were back in and people are allowed to go see their team. They haven't probably seen their team maybe in a year or two years. So some of them, it might've been their first game with their kids and you fly to Greece and then you're treated like that. You know, you're denied entry and you're got you're ferried back. So I was like, okay, that's, that's really sucks. So what's the issues? So he's like, well, it's just, we, there's major disputes between our governments. And his action was, um, because that what they do in this Champions League is when Turkey goes to play, the team from Turkey goes to play Greece, they also then get an away fixture. So the team from Greece has to come over to Turkey. And his reaction was, I hope that they let the, Turk, the, the Greece people in like they did to us. And then when we get them to customs and border control, we kick them out via the ferry and send them back. And I was like, okay. Now, to a lot of people, yeah, you'd be like, that's justified. You know, they hit us. We're going to hit them. You know, you, you have to retaliate. You know, I know a lot of people would say, well, you question this, John. You know, you're soft. You're weak. You think a government should run over our citizens? No. But what I find very frustrating is the way we seek retaliation. Because what will happen? What do you think is going to happen in a situation where the, if those Greece supporters came over, they came over to Turkey and then they got turned away. What do you think is going to happen the next time a Turkey team plays another Greece team? They're going to retaliate. And then when Greece comes back for its return leg, they might send some supporters over. Or maybe eventually what the, the end game is, is nobody sends anyone. You know, the Greece people can't go to Turkey. The Turkey people can't go to Greece. Maybe that's the end game. But how does this end well for anyone? Because you see, in this situation, it's so, like so many situations today, even the ones that some of my friends on the right use to justify government. The only people who lose in this are the people. The only people who lose is who, who wanted to go see their team play. That was their crime. They, they supported the, the Greek team or they supported the Turkish team. And they wanted to go see. They wanted to bring their kids to see their team. Buy them a jersey, buy them a scarf, buy them a program. Have a great experience. After COVID, we all need some good experiences to, to create some good memories instead of just being cooped up in a house for, you know, where you can't travel more than three miles from your house, where you can't go to do the cinema, you can't go to a restaurant. You need chances to build memories and create bonds again with your, your family, your friends, your loved ones. But who wins in this situation? The government. 
Governments in both countries get more power. The governments get more control over your life. The people who lose are the people who only wanted to support a soccer team. The people who lose are the people who've had their freedom stripped away. But also, what I found very striking about this conversation, it's so apt because it's become so commonplace in America, in Europe, in Ireland, in Australia, where this injustice was done by the Greece government and the Turkish people. It is an injustice. I think it was wrong. However, we followed the Turkish people supported their government taking other people's rights away. They hate that person, hate it. And they use the word hate several times. Greece, the people from Greece. It wasn't the Greece government. It wasn't a Greece politician. It wasn't a Greece football team. It wasn't the people who actually caused this bad thing, this injustice. It was just a blanket hatred against the Greece people because of what their government did. This is something we need to distinguish, and especially in America. You need to distinguish, and I always say this to my friends on the left, you need to distinguish America the country, America the political body, and America the idea. Because if you wrap them all up into one, it's very easy just to hate something, very easy to see them as an enemy. You can have major disagreements with any one of those, but using the word hate to someone who you don't know have had no interactions with, and has not affected your life, is not healthy. This is something we have become so commonplace in, where people hate each other. How can you hate someone who you don't know? How can you hate someone who you've never interacted with? How can you hate someone who has done you no wrong? The people he hates, their crime was, their government did something, so he hates them because it's their government. We need to seriously look at ourselves and look at the things we talk about and ask ourselves who wins. Now, I don't know what the solution to this is. I get people don't want to be perceived as weak because that's such a bad thing. But what solution would you suggest? Because here's the thing. If we keep escalating and keep you know, banning people from that country, using that analogy, the Turkey and the Greece, if you keep banning people, where does it stop? Do you then all of a sudden, if it's not just for soccer, do you then go to tourism? Do you start banning Greece's allies? Where does it end? All these people are losing their livelihoods. All these people are losing the chance to create memories. The people are the ones losing their freedoms and losing their life. And yet, we're the ones supporting it. We need to take a step back and look at everything we do and everything we propose and ask ourselves, where, what's the end goal? Because here's the thing, this is where Christians need to step up and not by preaching. It's so easy to preach the Bible, even though we do need a lot more preaching. It's time to start living it. Our world has enough hate. What we need to do is, yes, stand up to injustice. Yes, speak out for principles. Yes, speak out for justice. But also speak out for love. Because we are in a situation where we badly, badly need to. Because if we don't, we are done. Because hate is all it's consuming. It's consuming our hearts, it's consuming our minds, it's consuming our souls. And then you get to a real dark place. You think America and the world is bad right now? You continue on this path where hate is so prevalent. You're, the problems that you face right now will be nothing compared to the problems you see in the future.
finish up today's show because I just wanted to. There's so many issues right now that, especially over the last couple of weeks, that are just outrageous. And honestly, I can't add a lot to the conversation. I didn't want today's show. I didn't want to get it too deep into today's show because there's so much that would annoy me. I could talk to you about Afghanistan. I could talk to you about the Robert E. Lee statue and the burning and tearing it up. Not whether you like Robert E. Lee or not. That's irrelevant. You don't burn history. There's so many other things. The economy. There's so many other bad things where the economy isn't responding the way uh, uh, people expected it to, which is not a shocker if you understand any basics of econ- economics. You don't just switch an economy off and then switch it back on again and everything's going to run smoothly. It's not a car. It's not a light switch. This is people's livelihoods you're expecting and affecting. I just wanted to talk to you about something very simple because it's absolutely key we start focusing in on our attitude. And our attitude is largely going to depend and depend on how we are winning or if we will win at all. Because if you have a right attitude... You can overcome anything. If you have a bad attitude, you've lost right before you started. And I say this as someone who has suffered with depression a lot in the past and who, despite getting over things and despite right now being the happiest I've been in a long time, I was mega depressed a week ago, 10 days ago. I was in bits. Attitude really, really plays such a big role. But we also need to understand history. And for the last few minutes, I want to talk to you about hope. I want to speak to you about faith. And I want to speak to you about your actions and your attitudes. And this is only for my friends on the right, usually, who right now think America is done. America is over. America is beat. There is an old saying because it's based on a natural law. It's based, if you look out any day in the world, any day, no matter where you are in the world, it is always darkest before the dawn. It is always darkest before the dawn. I'm recording this show right now and it's, I think it's, it's 10.25 PM. I'm looking at a big, huge window and it is pitch black. There is not a star in the sky. I'm looking out at a black hole. But when you understand the cycle of life that we all just go by, it's really dark right now. It kind of would be depressing in many ways if you looked out at it. It's just like a black screen. But I have confidence that when I wake up tomorrow morning, the sun will rise. This clouds will rise if there's rain and participation in the air. If not, it will be a blue sky. And then this time tomorrow night, the sun will go down and it'll be dark again. It is always darkest before the dawn. But that's easy to say. That's philosophical. That's, you know, what has this got to do with life, John? You're talking about sunrises and sunsets and, and looking out at a black, you know, black screen out your window. If you look at your attitude over the last 10 years, there's been times when you've said the exact same thing. There was times before Joe Biden was president, you said the exact same thing you're saying right now, that America is done, that this is the obstacle America can't come over, that there has never been a greater evil than there is right now. And maybe that last part is true. Maybe it's not. The history books will write that. But here's the thing. The last time you said it, whether you like him or you hate him, you got Donald Trump. 
but this is not a new thing. It's not a it's not an uncommon thing to say America's done or America's over or have no hope for the country. Because my friends on the left said it under Trump and said it under Bush. My friends on the right said it when Jimmy Carter was elected president, the farmer, the humble man, apparently, quote unquote. You saw everything he did. And that gave you Ronald Reagan, whether you like him or not. You see, here's the thing. It is dark right now. The world is in a really, really bad place. If a government can compel a grandmother not to hook her grandkids, what a sacred, what freedom is eternal, what freedom is off limits when you can determine whether you show affection to your grandchild or not. Where is the line when that is the standard? And that has been the standard in a lot of countries. When that's the standard, what line do you say, well, you never cross that? That's the world we live in. But we need to understand that while things are dark, we can turn them around. You have turned them around in the recent history, in the recent past. You've also turned them around before. There's so many times in your history where you've turned things around. Your history is full of it. It's an example after example, after example, after example of people been really hurt, been really let down, been really frustrated. Yes, been really pissed off. But you've always acted and worked to be better, to be strive to be better. Who are you striving to be better at today? Where are you striving? Where are the new leaders rising up? Or why is it the same people that are talking time and time and time again? It's the same people you look to. We need to start increasing that circle. And yes, that is a political reference. We need to start taking action because we need to look around and go, how do we improve people's lives? If you're like me, you believe that the way you improve people's lives is largely by getting government out of its way, letting people pursue their happiness. This is not, I talked to someone, I think maybe it was three, four weeks ago. And I was talking about the presentation I was going to give, and I was giving the bullet points. And I said, uh, you have a God-given right to pursue your happiness. And I quote, unquote, this person who is on the right told me, that sounds great and all, but I wouldn't use that in your statement. It sounds too much like a lefty term. How can we get to this? How can we get past this point where pursuit of happiness is not a left term or a right term? It's a principle of what you're entitled to, what you have a right to pursue. It's a right from God. But that we don't just look at things in the eyes of, well, that's a lefty term or a righty term, where we look at a things through even an American term, but we just look at the principle on its merits. Is it good or is it bad? And if it's good, how can we improve it? If it's bad, how do we make it better? Have that discussion. Have that, you know, maybe argument even. But let's start having that discussion. Because we need to improve lives. We need to people to be more free. But also we need people to, to create and to innovate. Because we can solve all the problems that we have right now with a, bit of creati- with a bit of creativity. You know, one of the reasons I love coming to America, and it's been two years now, is I love to see the new innovations because I just see so many of them that we just, that we just you guys take for granted, but we don't have them over in Ireland. Or maybe I just don't have access to them. I was driving a, a car today and I had a rental car to drive from Vegas to St. George where I am now. And I know what the car is and you think, because I don't drive a new car. 
I have a company car when I'm in Ireland and it's, it's a, it's a van because of the industry I'm in. It's not a car, but like any, the, the car I do drive, it's never new, but I got a rental car and it's, you know, I, I don't know what year it is, but it, it's probably out in the last year, maybe 18 months. So it is relatively new. And they, they had a feature in it that I've never seen before. I've never even heard of. I'm sure you probably will roll your eyes when I tell you what the feature was, but to me, this was new. Where, you know, when you're driving a car and you're driving on the freeway or, and you have cruise control on. Well, this had this new feature where it had the cruise control on. And then as you would approach the vehicle in front of you, the car would slow down automatically and adjust its speed to maintain a distance. So if you were in traffic, instead of having before, what you'd have to do is you'd have the cruise control on. And then if there was traffic or you hit it and it was slow ahead of you, you'd have to take the cruise control off and then use the gas normally. This didn't. That's amazing to me. Again, some of you probably roll your eyes going, that's been out for years, John. That's just normal life. We're so far ahead of that. Well, to me, it's new. But the reason it excites me is because that is how you solve problems. You innovate. Someone somewhere thought of this. And went, you know what would be really cool with that cruise control? I'm going to make it better. I'm not going to compete with you. I'm going to make cruise control better. I'm going to insert sensors into the car where we have, a, I don't know whether it's like two meters or three meters or five meters, whatever it is distance between you and the car in front and it automatically adjusts the speed of the car without you touching a button it does it automatically and then that person had to go make that a reality they had to go this is the plan now how do we do it and go through all the tech specs and then after they got all the tech specs they had to test it to make sure it worked and then when they got made sure it worked then they had to go to all these different automobile companies go hey i've got this idea here's the idea here's the tech specs here's the results to prove it works because it's scientifically proven, will you buy it and put it in your car for us? And they had to convince someone that it was worth something. They had to convince executives that, you know what, we're going to put this in our car. We're going to put it in our brand of cars. And then you got to convince other people that there's real value in it and put, get them to put it in their cars. But ultimately, all this power boils down to you because those executives aren't making a decision for themselves. They're making it for you. They're going, hey, will people buy this car because of this? Will it make our cars more attractive? Or if we don't have it, will it put our cars at a disadvantage if everyone else has it? You have the real power. That's where, how you change the world. We need people to start pursuing their happiness again because we need to impact lives. We need to make things better. And how we solve all these problems is through innovation, through creativity, but also through service, through looking how we can make people's lives better. Because yes, the economy sucks right now. Yes, there's major problems. There are many problems, but there's still opportunities. There's still opportunities to make money. We need to just work harder for them and we need to help other people find them. But most importantly, what I believe we need right now is we need some hope. And I mean, we need some real hope. You don't need some Irish guy coming over here blowing smoke up your butt. Telling you, oh, everything's wonderful. Everything's great. America is great because Americans are good. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? No, you need some real sustainable hope. And how you build that hope is by building it on something solid, some foundation, something that is not liquid, that won't change, that won't dissolve under pressure, but something that is sturdy. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about your founding principles and reclaiming the narrative of America. Because here's the thing. That is what we can build upon. 
We can start understanding the foundations of your country. We can start understanding and inspiring people to say, hey, yes, things are bad, but they can get better. And it's not some come by our happy days and happy pills. It's real meaningful change. Because yes, times suck right now, but this too shall pass. And yes, at some point, the dawn will rise. Because your history depends on it. And your history says you will not let the world down. Your history says you will step up. And maybe it's not fair to ask you to constantly keep stepping up, but you're the only one capable right now. You're the only one who has an understanding, whether it's real or not. You're the only one who has some basic understanding of natural law and nature's God. We will turn things around. Tomorrow, it mightn't be tomorrow, it might be next week, it mightn't be next month, but things will get better if we work hard enough. If we're not looking around just to moan and bitch and complain and say, oh, this sucks, this is horrible. But if we act, act with kindness, act with compassion, we can and we will change things around. The last thing I would ask you today is I would ask you for a personal favor. I'm here till Thanksgiving at least. I'm going to be sharing a lot of stuff about events. I'm going to be sharing some videos of presentations, but also I'm going to be sharing some where I'm appearing on different media. I've, got, I've lined up quite a bit of media and more coming. I would ask you to engage more on my social media if you can. Share it. Help get the word out. Because right now, I think it's not that I'm somehow awesome and it's all about me. It's not. It's the message. And the message isn't my message. The message is your message. Anything I say, it's not like I created it. It's not like I can stand over and go, hey, you know what? That's me. No, I'm not here. I'm not the lice. I'm here to testify to the greatness of the lice. And that is the idea of America. So I would ask you to share those posts, especially the media posts. It increases engagement. And also then it, it lets the media company know while people are engaging. And then it helps open up other opportunities for me to get media to reach new people. I can't do this alone. I need your help. I'm going to need your help fundraising as well. I've got a page. It's donorbox.com slash freedoms disciple. Check it out. Even if you can't donate yourself, please share it with a family and a friend. I've invested 10K in this trip. This trip has cost me a fortune. I don't have all the money to make this trip a reality. I need your help. I need your support. I hate asking because I know a lot of you are struggling, but even if you could share it, it would mean the world to me because I'm all in. I'm here to serve and I'm here to help. And I would ask you to join me. And if you can't do anything else, do the most important thing you can do for me. Keep me in your prayers. Pray that I, doors up are open for me to reach more and more people. Pray my voice holds up because I'm not blessed with the best voice. And most importantly, pray that I share the right message and I strike the right tone. Because if we don't turn things around, if we don't start reclaiming America's narrative, we're done in a year, gang. Maybe it's 18 months. Maybe it's two years. We are done because we are seeing major evil right now. We are seeing no limits on governments. Everything these governments are doing is legal. That should scare everyone. We need to start getting the understanding of what the role of government is, what their role is. And we need to start empowering people and sharing a message that says, no, you are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your ship. You decide what's best for you. You want to isolate, isolate. You want to go to work, go to work. 
you want to make money, you want to start a new business, go do it. You can do it. You can, will be hard, but you can do it. Just like we can turn things around. But I can't do it without you, America. So please help me. Share this podcast. Share my social media when I share them out. Share the this, this, this speeches I release and share my social, the donor box page. Stonerbox.com slash Freedoms Disciple. I will be here every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. I don't care how busy I am. I will find time to record a show for you and bring you the real stories, bring you what I'm seeing on the ground, and most importantly, bring you some real hope and solutions. Because as in the sentiments of the Tocqueville, America is great because Americans are good. That's each and every one of you. It's not DC. It's not Trump. It's not Biden. It's not the left. It's not the right. It's you, your people. And if you're going to solve it, we're going to solve it together. And we're going to create and start writing the greatest comeback man has ever seen. And we will do it. We will do it. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.